now turn to the point in the service where we open God's Word together. So I would invite you to take uh, your Bible and open to Philippians chapter 2. That's page 1165 on the Pew Bible. 1165, our first scripture reading will be from Philippians chapter 2, verses 11, or verses 4 to 11, and I would invite you to stand out of respect, if you're willing and able, for the reading of God's holy word. Philippians 2, starting at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So far the reading of God's word, and I would invite you to turn to our sermon text as we continue our series through Ruth. Uh, we'll be reading Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, and that's on page 264 of the Pew Bible. Ruth chapter 4. Congregation, hear the word of the Lord. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day 
that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Amen. So far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Congregation, let's ask for the Lord's help together. Let's all pray. Oh, Father, as we come to your word again this evening, Lord, we do thank you for the gift of your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our way. Lord, show us uh, the way. Show us Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life this evening, our great Redeemer, we pray. Holy Spirit, show us Christ and him crucified. And may we be assured of the gospel again this day, Father, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I've made it a point, as I've been here with you these few weeks, to try to memorize everybody's names. I go through the directory each week, and I match faces and names with the pictures. And I, I'm pretty fastidious about it. I make sure that I do it every day because I know it really stinks (laughs) when somebody forgets your name. Hey, you! You know, that's not a fun feeling. Uh, We want the people that we care about to remember our names, don't we? It's not too much to ask for your family to remember your name. It's not too much to ask for your friends to remember your name. And it's certainly not too much to ask your church family to remember your name, to be in prayer for you. It matters to us to have our names remembered. We want to be remembered, and it's good for people that care about you to remember your name. But some of us, maybe we're a little more ambitious, and we want our names up in lights. You know, I want my name on Broadway. Be famous. Hollywood, here I come. Uh, Maybe that's you. Maybe it's not. Maybe some of you want your name in a history book someday. you got to accomplish something really significant to get your name in a history book. Most of us probably aren't that ambitious, but we still want our names remembered, and so I would imagine someone here in this room tonight has had a pocket knife and went out into the woods and carved his initials in a tree somewhere. And I bet if we were to go to the school you grew up in and we were to look under the desk and underneath all the gum, you might find Billy was here, Johnny was here, Dave was here. We all want our names remembered especially by the people that we care about. What do you have to do to get your name remembered? It's a big question. What do I have to do to get my name remembered? Not in like an egomaniac way, but just by the people that care about me. What do we have to do? And I think that's a question that comes to us here in this text. What do we have to do to get our name remembered? Because we see here there's two possible redeemers 
in our passage, but only one has a name worth remembering. Only one has a name that lasts. Boaz actually had to give up his name in order to redeem the name of the dead. And he's got a name worth remembering. So I hope as we look at that, we'll look at it in three points. Uh, First, we'll look together at the moment of redemption, the moment of truth, right? Redemption is a key part of this passage. Then I want us to look together at what that name cost. What did Boaz's name cost him? And then finally, I want to look at the power of that name, the name that was able to redeem the dead. And so perhaps you're here with us tonight for the first time or You've, just, uh, you've missed a few services. I'd like to just give a brief recap of the book of Ruth, where we've been. We've been here for several weeks now in the evening services. But the story of Ruth is really a beautiful story, and it starts out with a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi. And it starts out bad. They have a famine in the land of Israel, in Bethlehem. The house of bread is what Bethlehem means. And so they leave Bethlehem, and they go where? They go to Moab. Moab is a cursed place, and they live in Moab for a time to try to escape the famine. And uh, they have two sons, Malon and Kilion. And Malon and Kilion take wives of the Moabitesses, which Israelites really weren't supposed to do. And uh, it turns out that over ten years there in Moab, Elimelech dies, Malon dies, Kilion dies, and Naomi is left all alone. She's a widow now. And she's got two Moabitess daughter-in-laws. And the question is, when Naomi decides, hey, I need to go back to my people in Israel, will the daughter-in-laws come with her? And the first daughter-in-law, Orpah, says, I'm going to stay in Moab. But Ruth vows to stay with Naomi. She says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'll go wherever you go. I will be with you always is what Ruth is saying. And she goes back to the promised land, leaves everything behind to be with her mother-in-law. And then she goes to work. She starts gleaning. She's collecting the scraps from the farm to feed them. And this was a lot of work. Uh, But she does it. And lo and behold, there's a guy there named Boaz. And Boaz takes pity on them. He starts making sure that they have everything that they stand in need of, providing food for them. And it just so happened that this guy Boaz was a relative of Naomi's, or Elimelech's, and he could really fix their situation in more ways than one. He was what was called a kinsman redeemer. More on that in a minute, but uh, he could redeem them. He could make things right, besides just giving them a handout and giving them food. And so Naomi comes up with a plan, and she sends Ruth to go propose marriage uh, to Boaz. And so That was the night before. And so Ruth proposed uh, marriage to Boaz. And now the question is, what's going to happen? Boaz said, I'll do it. I'll redeem you. But there's a fly in the ointment. There's another guy, another redeemer who's closer than I am. And so will this other guy redeem? Or will Boaz get the chance to redeem and marry Ruth? And that's kind of where we're at in the story Another thing to keep in mind, maybe you've studied the book, maybe you haven't, is the idea of redemption and the idea specifically of kinsman redeemer. Uh, I'll briefly summarize, but redeem means to buy. It's a way of saying we buy back. Uh, You can redeem a coupon 
or something, right? You can redeem land in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 25, we read about how Israel, if they sold land, uh, their relative, the, the land was to stay in the family. And so a relative could go and buy the land back. If, if you got into straits, you'd sell your land. And either your relative could buy it back or it would come back into your family at one of the years of Jubilee. You can look up the, the legal wranglings there in Leviticus 25, but I'm summarizing. Uh, the idea was that the land stays in the family forever because that points forward to our eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. So it's very important symbolically that the land stays in the family uh, because our inheritance is sure. And then there's another aspect to kinsman redeemer that's relevant for our passage in Deuteronomy 25. In Deuteronomy 25, we read about what was called leveret marriage. And this, this has to do with uh, raising up a son. So if a man was married to a woman and that man dies without leaving a son or an heir to inherit, that man's brother-in-law was to marry the widow and give her a son, and that son would then belong to the dead brother. So he would be uh, the dead brother's son, even though he came from the guy who's alive. And the idea there was to take care of widows, make sure that they had someone to take care of them, but also so that the name of a family member wouldn't be blotted out that their name would continue. And there's, there's moral principles there that were to take care of the, the widow and the oppressed, but there's also symbolic things going on there pointing forward to what Jesus Christ does for us. Our names will never be blotted out of the book of life. They're always sure because we have a great kinsman redeemer in Jesus Christ. And uh, the story of Ruth is kind of complex with all the legal wranglings and commentators get all confused about it. Uh, with what's going on, because you have land on one hand that's up for sale, and then you have Ruth and Naomi and Malon and all that going on. So there's land and marriage involved here. This is a complicated case. We need a good lawyer involved. There's a lot of loopholes here. And so this is where we pick up the story. And I invite you then to turn to your text, if you have it with you, at Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. We pick up, remember, Ruth is staying at home with Naomi, and the man's going to take care of it. Boaz is going to redeem now, to settle the matter today. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. And so he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. Let's talk. Let's chat, you and me. And the gate, brothers and sisters, in, in those days was like the town hall. It was the coffee shop, it was the, the courts, the marketplace, everything rolled up into one. That was where you went to do official business, was you sit down in the city gates. Uh, you see it in Proverbs 31, the woman's taking care of the home, the man goes down to the city gates and he's kind of running the government, he's running the, the show, public life. Uh, so gates are symbolic for official business in the Old Testament. And so Boaz goes to not just a back alley, but to the place of official business to take care of redemption. Nothing secret going on here is being highlighted. And then in verse 2, what does he do? He says, let me go get quorum. He gets ten elders. And he says, you guys, you ten over there, sit down here. We got business to take care of. And so he's pulling out his Robert's Rules of Order here, making sure everything is proper, 
checking every box, saying, let's make sure there's no loopholes. Ten elders, I want you to witness this. You're ruling over this. We're in the place of official business now. And that's very important. And you can imagine a crowd then gathering. There's ten elders. Ooh, what are they doing? This is a small farming town, Bethlehem. My seminary used to be in Iowa, and I'm told that in Iowa, in this little town where the seminary used to be, the local paper would publish all kinds of stuff. And uh, even if you got a speeding ticket, it might show up in the local paper. People are going to talk in a small town. And uh, you can imagine Bethlehem. There's a crowd. What's going on? Is there a land deal? Boaz is sitting down with the Redeemer. What's happening? And so everybody gathers around the situation to witness. And then Boaz starts going through his negotiation tactics in verses 3 and 4. And he's pretty shrewd. He's pretty shrewd. Listen to what he does. He says to the Redeemer, Naomi has come back from the country of Moab. She's selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you about it. And say, buy it in the presence of everybody sitting here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know there's nobody else to buy it. I want to do it. I want the land. Let me do it if you're not going to do it. And he's kind of putting the pressure on. What do I have to do to get you in the car today? I don't want you to walk away from the lot. I want to get you in the seat of that car today is kind of what he's doing. Putting the pressure on. And he's making it look like a sweet deal. Think about what this deal looks like to this other guy. Naomi's getting up in the years. There's no claim on the land that he's mentioning so far. And so this is basically land in his pocket. No one else is going to inherit it. He can put that into his legacy, his portfolio for his kids. Pretty cheap deal in actuality. And so what does the guy say? Well, I guess if you're going to pressure me, I'll do it. I'll redeem it. How could I lose? And then Boaz says, oh, but by the way, the day you buy the land, you also acquire for yourself Ruth the Moabitess. A little tricky there. A little tricky. What does that mean? Why does he back off when he says that? And, you know, we could feel our stomach drop when, when the guy says, I'm going to redeem it. Oh, no, what's going to happen to Ruth? Well, Ruth represents a claim on the land. That's really what's going on here. This guy is about to lose his shirt on the deal. You see, he's going to get this land. He's going to pay Naomi to buy the land. Then he's going to pay to take care of Naomi, pay to take care of Ruth, give Ruth the son, pay to raise him, and then give the son the land. How does that work for me? That doesn't work out for me at all. <laughs> and so the guy says, if, if this is what you want, you can have it, man. You want that deal? It's all for you. I want no part. And so Boaz says, I got it. I will do it. I will redeem. I will purchase the land. I will purchase Ruth the Moabitess. It's done. Everybody saw it, right? And so the guy takes out his sandal, and they exchange sandals. It's a little cryptic note. We don't really know what that symbolized. Perhaps it had something to do with setting foot on land as kind of a way of showing ownership. Uh, perhaps today it would be like shaking hands or signing on the dotted line really is what's going on there with the sandal. They're making sure everybody sees, hey, did you notice they exchanged sandals? There's no funny business. This is official business. They're in the gates. There's witnesses. And then he says, you all, you've seen it. You're witnesses. Let me repeat it. Here's what happened. I bought the land and I bought Ruth the Moabitess to redeem. Everybody saw it. No question about what's happened. This is out in the daylight. No secrets here. Everybody knows. 
Everybody knows, no questions. And then, of course, the crowd says, yes, we understand, we've seen it. Let me repeat again what you said, just so we're all clear that the contract has been signed on the dotted line. Ruth the Moabitess, Naomi, have been redeemed by Boaz. And through all the twists and turns, all the wrangling there, making deals, wheeling and dealing, redemption was secured. That's really the highlight of the text, right? The, the, the story is moving forward now as redemption has come to the widows, to Naomi, and to Ruth. And redemption really is the key point of the passage, but there's also this very, uh, it's, it's very important, and it, it gets repeated, the idea of names. The idea of names comes through in this, in this passage as well, and this will be our second point, uh, but you see the cost of what Boaz's name was and how important names are and how often they're repeated here in these 12 verses. And you notice the townspeople, when they're blessing Boaz, they, uh, well, they like to name drop. They're name dropping all over the place. They name drop Rachel and Leah. They say, may the young woman who's coming into your house be like Rachel and Leah. We remember from Genesis, Rachel and Leah, they were kind of the matriarchs of the tribes of Israel. They were the moms. And from those two, you had the 12 tribes, more or less. And so they're saying, be blessed. May she be like this. May this be the type of woman you're bringing into your house. Uh, Good thing. And then they also bring up Perez and Tamar. And Perez would have been one of the ancestors of uh, Boaz, actually. And Tamar would have been one of his great-grandmas. That's an interesting blessing. You know, she's one of the mothers of the tribe of Judah. But there's also a lot of parallels between that story and this one. Uh, Interesting blessing being brought up there. You see, in both stories, there's unusual factors being brought in. And in both stories, you see the idea of a kinsman redeemer being involved. And that's what you have with Boaz. And so it's appropriate to bring in Tamar uh, because of all of that. And so they wish Boaz well, and they say, may all this be upon you. May you be blessed. May your house grow. May you be prosperous. May the Lord bless you. And in verse 11, verse 11, they they bless him quite explicitly. All the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. And then they say, may you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Now that idea of acting worthily in the Hebrew is a bit interesting. Uh, the, the literal translation, it doesn't really translate into English very well. It would be something like, may you do strength in Ephrathah. May you do strength. Uh, so it's one of those idioms or things that are unique to a certain language. Uh, but acting worthily is a good way of understanding it. But I think another, uh, another way of understanding it would be, may you prosper, may the Lord give you wealth uh, in Ephrathah. And when rabbis were asked questions about, you know, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your strength? You know how they answered it? They didn't say, go to the gym, you know, lift. They said, may you love the Lord your God with all your money. All your substance is how they understood strength. All your might 
because that was kind of how you amass power in culture is through wealth. And so you, may you love the Lord your God with your wallet is really how they're understanding it. And think about how appropriate that would be here because Boaz just lost his shirt on this deal. And they're saying then, may the Lord bless you. May he not take away from you, but may he see what you're doing. You're paying a tremendous cost to redeem this family. May God bless you and take care of you in Ephrathah. And that, that seems to be the idea of the text, but uh, Boaz's name cost him a lot. You know whose name didn't cost a thing? Mr. No Name. Mr. What's-His-Face. <laughs> Verse 1, did you notice that? Sit down here, friend. The guy doesn't even have a name. The Hebrew is actually pretty funny. It, it, it wouldn't mean anything, but it rhymes. It's uh, Poloni Almoni. And literally, uh, some people would say, you could call him so-and-so. Mr. So-and-so, sit down here. And in English, maybe a way of saying it would be Joe Schmo is kind of what the Hebrew is talking about. Sit down here, Joe Schmo. What's your face? Why don't we have a little chat, you and me? Uh, he was trying to keep his name. He was trying to build a name for himself. Let's build a name for ourselves, right? Like the Tower of Babel. And what ends up happening to his name? I don't even know it. <laughs> Mr. So-and-so sat down there. And it's interesting. A lot of parallels, a lot of symmetry in this story of Ruth between the beginning and the end. Right? They're in Moab for ten years. How many elders did they have witnessing? Ten elders. How many redeemers do they have here? Two redeemers, two daughter-in-laws. This guy seems a lot like Orpah to me. I don't really remember much about Orpah. He's, she's just kind of in and out of the story. We don't really remember even this guy's name. He's just in and out of the story. Very interesting. He tries to buy himself a name, and he loses his name. Nobody remembers his name because he's just looking out for number one, trying to add land to land and field to field. And uh, it didn't work out for him in the end. He lost his name. Just the opposite with Boaz. At the tail end of verse 11, there it says, May you be renowned in Bethlehem. And the idea there is literally, may they call your name in Bethlehem. May people keep saying your name forever and ever in Bethlehem, Boaz. May they not forget your name, Boaz, because of what you've done. May you be renowned. May you be famous. May you get your name up in lights for what you've done, Boaz. You know, he had everything to lose. And he ends up giving up his name for this son that he'll have, right? That son that he will have with Ruth, that doesn't bear his name. That son belongs to Malon. He's given up his name in order to save the name of the dead. You know, he sounds a lot to me like Ruth when she steps out in faith, leaves Moab and goes back with Naomi to the promised land. She's, he's leaving everything behind. And he's got everything to lose. And no one is obligating him to do this. There's not a gun pulled to Boaz's head saying, you will redeem. He didn't really have to. He could have walked away like the other guy. But he chose to step into a hard situation and redeem the oppressed, step in to save the widow. That's a beautiful picture. And, you know, Boaz sacrifices his name, and his name is not only recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. It wasn't only famous in Bethlehem. He had a pillar in the temple named after him. 
Did you know that? One of the pillars in the temple there in Israel was named after Boaz. It's a wonderful uh, tribute to this man, that his name would not be forgotten. You know, brothers and sisters, I think so often we are tempted as people to uh, try to make decisions like Mr. So-and-so made decisions. If it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. We're looking out for number one. I'm just trying to get mine, man. I'm trying to add field to field and land to land. i got to leave an inheritance to my kids. How am I going to worry about their kids? Can you blame the guy? So often we're tempted to look at things like that. But that's not the calling of Christians. We're not called to just add field to field and land to land. If you want your name to last, you need to give up your name for the sake of Jesus Christ's name. Christ says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Not some. All these things. All the things that are keeping you up at night. Christ will bless you. He's not going to shortchange you. Look forward to heaven, brothers and sisters. And what else did he say in Matthew 16? For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's the deal going to work out to be for you and me? What would your price be to give up your soul? Nothing. I hope. I hope you would never sell your soul. We need to look to Jesus. And brothers and sisters... This means we need to look at life through kingdom eyes. We need to look at life through eyes of faith. Right? If you were to go into a financial advisor and say, you know, I think I want to give my money to charity and to missions, what do you think they're going to say to you? Crazy? Are you even making a dent in the world? What's the return on investment for that? Only the eyes of faith can tell. Only God knows what the return on investment is there when we labor for Christ's name and not our own inheritance. And uh, still talking to that financial advisor and you tell him, by the way, I also think I'm going to start tithing. What do you think he's going to say there? He's going to laugh you out of the room. Tithing? How's that going to work out for you? But God says it will. God says in Malachi that he's going to open the floodgates of heaven if we bring in the full tithe. That's an act of faith, to bring in our money and bring in our wealth and bless the Lord and say, Lord, take this, even if it's just 10%, take it. I give you but a portion of what you've given me. Lord, bless it. And so we come with eyes of faith, laboring to build the kingdom with our substance, knowing that God will bless us. He's not going to be short-shrifting you. He's not going to be stealing from you. He's going to bless you. We need to look at the world through eyes of faith. The kingdom doesn't always make financial sense, brothers and sisters. But neither did Ruth. Neither did Ruth. Not at all. Boaz had a great name. It cost him a lot. But you know what else? He had a powerful name. He had a powerful name. He had a name that could raise the dead, if I can speak that way. I think the Bible does at verse 10. Verse 10, if you look there with me. It says, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. And then the ESV says, to perpetuate the name of the dead 
in his inheritance, that the name of the dead not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses this day. The idea of perpetuate, literally in the Hebrew, and the NASB brings this out, it's literally raise up the name of the dead. I will raise up the name of the dead as I redeem Ruth the Moabitess. I'm going to redeem Malon and raise him, as it were, from the dead. In one sense, Boaz's name then can raise Malon, Kilion, and Elimelech from the dead by assuming their life to him. He's a substitute. You see, symbolically, what's happening is he has become their life even beyond the grave with Boaz's name. His name saved Ruth and Naomi from oblivion, and he gave up a lot to do it. Boaz has a name worth remembering, but you know, I know a name that's even better than the name of Boaz. I wonder if you know what name I'm talking about tonight. I know a story about a man who gave up his name when he wasn't strictly obligated to in order to save not just widows from destruction, but his own enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Jesus didn't symbolically raise the dead through some sort of legal wranglings. He literally will raise the dead at the day of days. Not just symbolically, he literally died in our place at Calvary's tree. He was crucified for sinners to save them, to literally step into the grave on our behalf, brothers and sisters. That's what Jesus Christ's name does. Jesus made sure that when he purchased us, he did it out in the open. He didn't go down to the city gate. No, no. The city gate came to him in the middle of the night. as They mocked him. They scourged him. And then he was cast out by the Sanhedrin, by the elders. Not just ten elders. The whole Sanhedrin was there. Everybody knew Jesus Christ was there. The Jews were there. The Romans were there. Everybody saw what was happening when Jesus Christ went to redeem our souls. Out in the open, every box was checked. He signed on the dotted line. There was no secret when they cast him outside of the gates. And Jesus didn't just exchange sandals for your soul, brother and sister. He didn't just redeem you with gold and silver. He exchanged his very life for you. The precious blood of God. That's what paid for all our sins to save us from the dead. You know, he's got a lot more grace even than Boaz did. Boaz's name could redeem Malon and Kilion from the dead. Remember what Malon and Kilion meant? In the Hebrew, their names meant sickly and perishing. He said you could translate them sicko and dead meat. Boaz could save sicko and dead meat. The good news is that Jesus' name can do well above that. There is no sin so heinous, so evil, that the blood of Jesus Christ can't atone for that sin. He could save Malon and Kilion. If Boaz could do it, Jesus Christ could, couldn't he? No sin so bad that Jesus Christ can't save. You have not outsinned his grace, brothers and sisters. Look to Jesus Christ, our great Savior. And because of what Jesus has done, because he was so humiliated, Philippians 2 tells us, he's been given a name far above every other name. He didn't just get the pillar in the temple. He is the temple of God. 
way beyond the name of Boaz is Jesus Christ, the temples dedicated to him. Brothers and sisters, we were sitting at home like Ruth and Naomi when Jesus Christ went to redeem us at Calvary. We had nothing to do with it. Jesus Christ died in our place. He bought us while we were yet in the grave, just like Malon and Kilion, so that he could resurrect us. The only thing we contributed was the sin. Right? You know that quote? The only thing you contribute to your salvation is the sin that required it in the first place. Jesus Christ has purchased us. He has redeemed us. That's good news. He's got the name above every other name. And you know what else? Think of Boaz going down there to the city gates that morning to redeem his bride. He had her name on his lips, didn't he? I've come to redeem Ruth the Moabitess. The good news of the Gospels, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus Christ has your name on his lips. He has remembered you. What do you have to do to get your name remembered? Jesus Christ remembers Isaiah 49 says that a woman might forget the name of her nursing child, but I have not forgotten you. You know why, says Isaiah? Because your names are graven in my hands. All Jesus Christ has to do is look at those nail prints in his hands and remember, yes, your name, your name, Christian, not just an amorphous blob of people, but your very name is graven on his hand. He paid for specific sinners. He paid for each and every Christian specifically by name on the cross. That is good news for us when we're so concerned about remembering each other's name. Jesus remembers your name. So brothers and sisters, let us give his name all the glory and honor because it's worthy of all the glory and honor. And let us then walk into situations that may not make financial sense, that may require sacrifice in order to be redeemers and to glorify the name above all names with eyes of faith, calling others who are perishing from the earth that their names might be written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, we do thank you for the great salvation, the great redemption that our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, has bought for us, not with silver or gold, but with his own precious blood. And Lord, we do thank you that that salvation is full and free, that it's all of grace, that we contributed nothing to it. And so we simply look in faith, sitting still at home, remembering that you have done everything on our behalf. Oh, Lord. Please encourage us with that gospel and give us bold faith that's willing to step in to difficult situations, just like Ruth and Boaz did, and just like Jesus Christ did for us, that we might uh, see your kingdom come, even now in this world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.